How's your Latin, Matt? Amo, amas, I must learn more Latin. Ah, as good as that, eh? <laughs> Do you know what quasi means in Latin? It's Monsieur Modo's first name. Ugh, that joke gives me a kind of a hunchback feeling. <laughs> good, no? No, not a good feeling. Ah. Quasi means as if or almost in Latin. And, and in modern English, it has come to mean something that is apparently like something else. But... Not quite. In finance, there's something called quasi-equity. It refers to a financial instrument that's apparently like equity. And yet not exactly the same. That's right. Well, let's, let's test your Latin. What did ancient Romans call the child of a slave woman and a free man? Mm, quasi-free? No, no, the kid would still be a slave. Oh, that's a shame. But he or she would be a hybrider, a word that now, as hybrid has come to mean something that mixes two different kinds of things. And in finance? You get hybrid securities. That mix one kind of, of security and another. But why would you do that? Mm. Or why would you make quasi-equity instead of just regular old plain vanilla equity? We need to ask some experts about this. We should do an episode of a dictionary of finance about this sometime. Carpe diem. Let's do it right now. Christo Stoikov is from the Bulgarian Black Sea city of Burgas, which uh, I guess you only came to work here at the IB because they have direct flights from on Luxair. So getting getting here is, is not so difficult, right? And better weather as well. Better weather. Really? Well, if you want to talk about good weather, you also lived in Toronto. That's where you did your MBA uh, and worked in investment banking on the trading floor, developing quantitative portfolio strategies for derivatives Wow. And also as a relationship banker in corporate high-yield operations, which that's all pretty risky stuff. Yep. Wow, and you're a dangerous guy. Well, no, trying to avoid danger. Was all right. Yeah. That's, oh, I see. Okay, that's, that's what they all say, isn't it? Right, yes. And now you're actually um, developing new and uh, very successful product for late-stage venture capital companies. We're going to go into what a late-stage venture capital company is a little bit later. This is the quasi-equity, which is what, one of the things we're talking about today, and it has a parallel in something called venture debt. So we're, we're building up lots of things that we're going to have to define during the course of this, uh, this podcast. So uh, stay tuned. You'll get it. And this is all these deals have been helping companies develop innovative products, pushing the boundaries of physics, fighting rare tumors, and challenging online mastodons like Google. Wow. Wow. You see, the derivatives, you didn't manage to destroy the world with your derivatives, so now you're going after Google, and <laughs> we're impressed. Uh, Risto also played basketball as a semi-professional as well and has a number of MVP awards. That stands for Most Valuable Podcaster, right? Absolutely. Yes, of course. So we'll see if you are the most valuable podcaster today because your, your competition is pretty stiff. Yes, we also have with us Pilar Solano. Uh, and in order not to take up too much time with the intro, I'm just going to say that Pilar was uh, worked for, for seven years in, uh, in uh, London in banking, in Barclays and Deutsche Bank. She worked in retail banking, corporate banking, investment banking. And then she slowly got into debt 
capital markets, which is what we'll be mostly talking about with uh, her today. Uh, Pilar is from Barcelona, and I think you know we just had so many different terms that we need to get into it. Uh, so let's get started. Should we go for something uh, very basic to start with before we get into quasi equity and hybrid, which we're teasing our listeners with right now? Pilar, those are both financial instruments, right? What is a financial instrument? So, yes, indeed, both of them are financial instruments. Um, at the bank, the EIB as a bank, our main business is to provide financing towards projects. Now, we do that through different types of instruments, oftentimes called financial instruments, and they can be loans, they can be uh, guarantees, they can be in the form of quasi-equity type of products. Risto, let's talk about quasi-equity. What is it? Sure. I mean, it's not a very easy question to answer right away. I mean, if one goes to the Investopedia website, you see the definition of what quasi-equity is, and uh, you get something along the lines that this is a mezzanine loan and stuff like that, which, again, shows that it's completely misunderstood concept, and that is actually not true. So whoever goes to that site, like, don't believe what it says there. Now, to define what quasi-equity is, like we have to define what equity is and what debt is, right? Mm -hmm. So equity is ownership. So mm -hmm. you invest in a company, you become an owner of that company, and with that comes all the liabilities and the perks. A debt is uh, money that you give to a company, and the company has to eventually pay it back. A quasi-equity is like almost equity. So you're almost an owner of, of the thing. And it's, it's more of an art than science, so it's very hard to define. But like, if I have to come up with a very short definition, it's probably this is a contingent and participating loan. Why is it contingent? It's contingent upon the success of a certain company making it through and making eventually some money. And why is it participating? Well, because you actually take the risk in the beginning and you also want to participate from the upside. So, so if we try to give a real-world example, uh, let's say... Uh, if DIB gives a, a loan to a company, then a normal loan, they would have to repay that at a fixed, you know, every month or every year, they have to fix, pay back a certain amount of that loan. A, a quasi-equity financing means that the repayment is somehow linked to how well the company does? Um. Yes and no, to understand. I mean, for the, to define really quasi-equity, you have to... Like it's like an art, you know, it's like modern art. You have to look at it from different angles and everybody sees a different thing. Now, if you look at it from an accounting point of view, it is debt. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's actually, it can appear as a liability on your balance sheet, but if you tweak a bit the, the different modalities of that debt, it can appear as equity. If you mm -hmm. put your legal hat, it's purely debt because your contract says, like, we will give money to that company and in one sunny day, in five years' time, they have to pay it back. So legally speaking, it's debt. But accounting-wise, it could be debt or equity, depending on how you tweak the different elements of this finance. But let's, let's look at it from the, from the point of view of that company who needs financing. Yeah. Why would they want to have quasi-equity type of financing instead of a regular loan or instead right. of selling their shares to? Well, the people or the companies that actually take quasi-equity are in a very peculiar stage of their development. So if you think about companies as humans, like let's say the company is born, like, you know, it grows up, it, it acquires some like knowledge 
And if you have to compare to the stage of the company's development with that of, of a human, it will be probably at the time when you are about to go to college. So yeah, your parents took you through your high school, and now like you, you got into a college. You have a, you had a very good grade, and like you, but you have to pay fifty thousand dollars or whatever for the college, right? And technically, you don't have a borrowing capacity. If you are alone, go to a bank. The bank will say, "Well, wait a minute. You have no job. You have no assets." How come? Like we're gonna give you give you fifty thousand dollars? No credit history either, no right? No credit history as well, exactly. So that's where this is the stage of the companies, and that's what we call a late stage venture capital company, where a company has demonstrated that they have a product, that they have demonstrated it in the in the laboratory condition it works. They demonstrated that someone is interested in that product, but they need to scale up. They need to build a facility, or they need to expand internationally. They need to hire people, and at that moment, the company basically faces a dilemma. Either they will raise more equity, which means that they will go back to, to their owners and say, look, I mean, you helped us through the hard times. Now we need to scale up. But the scale up is a rather sizable amount of money that they'll bring in, which means the initial investors will be what we call diluted. They will own less from that company. But they have borne all the risk until mm -hmm. that point. Or the company could go to a bank. But if they go to a normal bank, the bank will say exactly what, what I just mentioned mm -hmm. about the student. The bank will look at them and say, do you have credit history? Well, no. Do you have a proof that your product will sell? Not really. Do you have assets to pledge? No, you don't. Well, sorry, but we cannot give you a long-term debt. And that's where quasi-equity comes in. Because legally, it is debt. So in that case, banks like EIB will provide this venture debt for you to grow your idea to the stage mm -hmm. where it will generate cash flow. But then, like basically, we bear the same risk as equity investor, and we would like, require some proper remuneration for that risk. So you take the risk and you take some remuneration for it. So venture capital, when people talk about venture capital, they're usually talking about equity. Yes. But this is something completely new, something in the last two years. How, how new is the idea of venture debt? Uh, well, venture debt naturally was much more present in the U.S. Uh, it started uh, several decades ago. I mean, you have some notable providers of such financing like Silicon Valley Bank in California, which grew as a bank from, from similar transactions, technically, backing up venture funds. Uh, in Europe, it came relatively late. Like, uh, like always, Europe is very patchy, patchy market, and like venture debt is very legally complicated structure because it always depends on the local market laws and so forth. In Europe, we still don't have like pan-European strong venture players. I mean, EIB has started this business two years ago, and now in terms of volume, we are one of the biggest players, if not the biggest. You have funds in UK like Creos Capital, who's been doing it for a while, uh, smaller tickets typically, but already around 10 years of history, even plus. There are some other small funds, and sometimes in some countries, some banks, like they chip in like 100, 200 million from their capital to start playing with these ideas. But it's not very well understood. We have talked to 2,000 companies in the last two years, and I can tell you that 90% of the customers, they did not know what venture debt is and how it works, this quasi-equity thing. So it's not very well understood by, by the people who raise financing, and it's not very well also developed in terms of you know, like pan-European reach. Well, let's help them understand it a little better still. So when they finally get that um, venture financing, the, the quasi-equity financing from the EIB. If they then are fairly successful, their, their product ends up generating a, a cash flow 
then they're able to pay it back as debt, right? Just a bit more expensive debt than normal debt would have been if they'd gotten it, right? Uh, but in, and if they if they fail, if they if their innovation does not generate a cash flow, then we kind of lose with them, absolutely. As as an equity investor would. Yeah. Exactly. So in terms of risk, we share the same risk as an equity investor. If the company turns out to be not successful, we have five or six companies in our pipeline that are developing certain cancer drugs. And like, you know, history shows that some of these will make it and go to the market and others will fail. Those that fail are quite binary, like you pretty much are left with almost nothing. Uh, so we share the whole risk. And in the upside, it's not necessarily that we're more expensive. The way we remunerate venture debt financing from EIB point of view, and that also you can see in the market, is through stock options. Mm-hmm. So we say, well, we will give you this debt, but in order for us to tap in the upside of your company becoming more valuable, we would like to get like the option to acquire a certain number of your shares. We will not exercise it, which means that you're not diluted, but we want to keep that option. And when the moment comes... Like, let's say your company now, it's, uh, you know, it's breaking a billion valuation and uh, you think that, you know, you don't need us anymore. You want to pay us back. We'll give you the option to buy back these stock options from us. So you keep your ownership. So in that respect, we have shared the risk in the, in the darkest of, of times. And when the, when the times are good, we can give back uh, against like a certain remuneration, the stock option. But it doesn't mean that we're taking cash out of the company. So they won't, it's not like it's 20% interest rate loan. No, it's mm-hmm. not. Like, actually, most of our loans have almost no interest rates on them. Like We have many, many facilities where the companies don't pay any interest. And the only upside that we bank on is the, the quasi-equity element, the option. And that's because these companies are innovative. They're doing something new. Yeah. They don't want to be paying the money back to the bank on the loan. They want to be putting that money into research and development. It's not only that they don't want to. We don't want them to do that. What we want them is that we want to contribute a sizable amount of money for them to focus on development of this new R&D, whatever product it is, being a biotech uh, product or a software or uh, some industrial engineering thing. The thing is this, like when they have committed the capital in excess of what they need this year, the management then is taken out of this constant loop of being able, like in need to raise more equity every year, every year meeting with new investors, bringing new people in, like trying to sort out the corporate governance. No, like when you have a sizable commitment for a long period of time, five to seven years, then the management can sit down and focus on bringing this product from A to Z. And again, that's it. This is a very, very good benefit from quasi-equity. So it's like equity and debt at the same time. Does that make it a hybrid security? It is, actually. A hybrid security is nothing more than a financial product, like we described before, Mm -hmm. that has characteristics of both equity and debt, as Christo was describing. So venture debt is truly a hybrid security. But there are other hybrids as well. Indeed. And one of the most common um, hybrid securities that is um, understood in the market, particularly in the type of companies that Christo was describing before, is the convertible bond or loan. And the convertible has exactly those features that um, Christo was describing, whereby you have a uh, defined maturity, a typically low remuneration, fixed low remuneration during the uh, maturity period. And then you have the option to capture upside at the end or at a fixed term. Mm -hmm. And that is the equity feature. 
But the, the companies that Christo is talking about here are fairly new ones. But there are, you know, some of the things that you've worked on are with companies that have been around a long time. Can you give us some examples of what types of companies uh, like to use uh, hybrid, hybrid Okay, bonds? so one thing is the definition of hybrid security at large. Like we were saying, a, a hybrid security is a financial instrument that has characteristics of both debt and equity. One of the distinct products we have developed recently at the EIB for large infrastructure companies, specifically regulated utilities, has been the corporate hybrid bond. Now, that is a very specific product that can be traded in the market or be privately placed, which has also characteristics of debt and equity. But that is suitable only for very well-established, highly rated type of entities. Why is that? Because the features themselves, let me describe a little bit what a corporate hybrid bond is. So it is a very long, very, very long dated, very subordinated type of instrument um, that sits only junior to the equity, the common shares, the ownership of the regulated utility. It typically pays a fixed coupon during a maturity of 60 years to perpetual life, but it can defer the payment of its interest without being in default. So it is something that is very subordinated. It's still, strictly speaking, debt. Mm-hmm. Highly subordinated. Which means? Which means that gets paid only after the senior debt is being paid. So if I am a, um, a utility, let's say I am a transmission electricity company, and obviously I have very high needs for capital expenditures, right? Mm-hmm. I need to go to the markets and raise a lot of debt, oftentimes is in the billions. And I have to because I am regulated and I am supposed to make all those investments. And so doing so in the markets means um, paying a lot of money subject to my capital structure. The more equity I have, the less I will have to pay on my debt. Correct? Mm -hmm. The less interest you'll have to pay. The less interest. Mm -hmm because my capital structure is more solid. I have more capacity to add indebtedness Mm -hmm. into my capital Mm -hmm. structure. Mm -hmm. Now, raising more equity is typically more expensive. Mm -hmm. You are a shareholder, you need to pay high rates Mm -hmm. for the risk that I am taking. The hybrid instrument is interesting to the issuer because it does not dilute the shareholders, mm-hmm. but it, 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 it typically collects 50% equity credit by the rating agencies, mm-hmm. which means they can capture 50% of that debt, the hybrid debt, and compute it as equity. Mm-hmm. So they can take on more uh, senior debt. Correct. Mm-hmm. It expands the debt capacity. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the um, let's let's get into some accounting because we all love accounting, don't we? So, in other words, it's it's like saying 
this is a bond. It's debt, but we can count it for the you know for accounting. We can count half of it precisely as equity, which means that the rating agency doesn't have to say you've got too much debt. We downgrade you to a junk bond. Or seeing it from the other angle, the rating agency will say, "I will keep your rate credit rating, and still you can go to the market and raise more debt." That's mm -hmm. what we mean by increasing your debt capacity. You mentioned when you were describing the hybrids, um, privately placed. Yes. What's a private placement? How is that different from, let's say, one of Christo's deals where it's privately the EIB, placed? The EIB doing a deal with a company. Is a private placement different from that? Not necessarily. Private placement uh, is just a way of accessing the investors or the financiers. So you can go through an exchange, and that's what's typically referred to as going through a listing. You go out to the public. You have some rules that you have to abide by because you're going to the market. Or you can go alternatively to certain individuals and enter into bilateral agreements with one or several parties, and that is called a private placement. Equities and debts, they are risky, less risky. Where do these come on the, the risk level? Let's start with quasi-equity. Is quasi-equity more risky than debt, less, equity, less, less risky than equity? Where does it stand on that scale, let's say? Well, it's, yeah, if you have to put a scale, really, like you have the riskiest part is clearly the equity, right? And uh, then you have the debt is on the on the farther right side of being like the, le the less risky one. And in the middle, you have the quasi-equity. That's normal. Like, uh, I don't know how else to explain it. But in the quasi-equity, the thing is that you, you, you provide financing to the company where it has no, like, get, debt capacity. So your probability of losing the money is like close to almost 100%. So you're really banking on the fact that you have good managers, that you have a good and viable business plan and a product, that you have good sponsors that will support them throughout, and that you have basically some barriers to entry and, and good competitive position and, and growing market. But for a hybrid bond, uh, that would be... A little different because we're talking about more established companies. Quite. And, and that's exactly the point. It depends on the stage of development of that company you're providing the financing to. So anything that, that sits between the debt, a straightforward standard loan that you get from bank and the ownership of the shareholders can be many shades of grey. Of great, right? Mm -hmm. And for early stage companies or companies that are graduating from uh, childhood into um, uh, how do you call these? Uh, it's not adulthood. Well, teenagers. Thank you. Yes, uh -huh. that that would be it. That's for scary. those that are graduating into a more uh, mature phase, the, the um, quasi equity is most appropriate for businesses which are a lot more stable and that have consolidated their development, their phase of development and expansion is completely different. They have access to assets, they have access to cash flows, and they have access to plenty, um, plenty resources that will enable them to structure other products that are not necessarily commensurate with the risk that you're going to be taking. So the risk of the quasi-equity or sub-debt in that case is more based on the capital structure of any given issuer as opposed to the access 
to different types of financial instruments that you will have with companies that are a bit younger. But you never know. That's the whole thing with the quasi-equity. You take the same strategy like venture capital. We look at 2,000 companies, we finance 40. And half of them will probably not make it, the other half will do, and th- those that do make it, like they will offset a bit the losses on the others. But Pilar, for the hybrids and the uh, utilities, I, th- I guess we're talking about much bigger tickets, but we also can do it by smaller chunks in, in funds and the, with the first loss pieces, those types of transactions, or how, to, how, big, how big do you have to be to, to get a hybrid loan, um, hybrid instrument from DIB? Okay, so a typical hybrid bond, there's no such a thing as a typical hybrid bond in Europe, but a reasonably sized hybrid bond issued by a European utility is anything between 500 and 1 billion. Um, There's some of the larger utilities that have 10 billion euros outstanding of hybrid uh, capital. So that that, that is a completely different ballgame. Our participations are around the uh, 100 to 100 million we don't um we like to to participate in an issue we don't like to crowd out other investors but through our participation we would like to believe that other people are also investing so we're happy about that and definitely it is much much larger than you would do for an earlier stage type of investment remember we're talking about capital intensive uh infrastructure type of companies half a billion euros to a billion. One of my favorite quasi-equities mm. is actually the one in the, the Greek sausage company. <laughs> that was only 15 million, Creta Farms. You could buy a lot of Greek sausage for half a billion euros, couldn't you? Risto, Pilar, thank you so much. It's always good to end with Greek sausages. Uh, thank you for being on a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. Thank you. Thank you. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, but it's also on Stitcher and other podcast platforms, as well as on our website, the the EIB's website. Just go to eib.org forward slash podcast. And we'll see you for our next episode on a dictionary of finance next week.